Welcome to Touch Podcast. This is Ryan. Yes, we are back from summer break with some terrific episodes and news. Our first two episodes this season were recorded this summer at Wild Goose Festival with Jennifer Knapp, yay, who is gracious enough to be hanging with us this season. This is very exciting, so let's just get right to it. Directed by Nathan Navarro. Produced by Ryan Clark. <laughs> Featuring I, Jennifer Knapp. I haven't watched that in a while, and I, I haven't just listened to it. It's so dramatic. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and, and dramatic for a reason, too, because emotionally, and maybe you guys can speak into this as well, um, when we kind of revisit some of these emotions, sometimes a lot of us have moved on from life to kind of forget this, and we try to detach ourselves from the past, and something happens, whether you need to go back, you have your homecoming for some reason or another. Maybe you're going back to spirituality, to your family, to your body, to your roots, but um, for, for me, working on this project and this podcast and with all of you guys, this is our, I would say, our um, real-time healing process. I mean, many of us, we are finding identity in each other as we try to find our bodies again as progressive Christians. Or maybe, even, you don't, maybe you don't even use that title, progressive Christians. As a human being, you're trying to reconnect with your body. And that emotional journey it really is a love story worth fighting for. So sometimes it may feel dramatic, and it doesn't always have to be dramatic, but it can feel that way. So um, there is space for both being feeling dramatic and light about this issue. Yeah. 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 So, and I want to underscore, like, I had one of the, I didn't grow up in church. I started going to a Southern Baptist church, had a very sweet and wonderful conversion experience. And in a lot of ways, that very conservative fundamentalist Southern Baptist Church was really good for me. They loved me, provided a lot of affection and structure in my life that I didn't have otherwise. And so, and I heard you, you know, some of that, Jennifer, in saying that. Um, it's unfortunate, though, that because of the all of the things that were going on in the United States at the time, that and this commercialization of virginity, particularly women's virginity, Happen. I mean, it's just a, it's a sad reality that we have to deal with now and that we are dealing with creating space so people can process it and talk about it. But it's an, and it didn't just happen in the 90s. I mean, we're being trolled right now by a purity um, organization um, for that are like, no, it still works. It still works. It still works. In fact, I don't know if you've seen Twitter, but they the thing that we tagged you on, they're like... Oh, did I get in trouble No, on you're not in trouble. They just want you to know oh, that... I so you, want some drama. You can get your virginity back for the third time, I think. Really? Is what they're... I think ultimately is they How, want is that, you... Is that surgical? They, re- <laughs> they want you to recommit gonna... your vagina to Jesus. <laughs> Again. Re-re-re... Re-recommit. The guys don't have to, though, oh, right? God, that's the I other, that's the other thing about purity right culture. I so want... I so want to see that right now. It, I can't even tell you how much actual pleasure that gives me. <laughs> well, there was a fun... On the ride here, um, I was riding with Ryan and his family, and um, his son Judah asked a really funny question on the way up because we were talking a little bit about talking, being here with you. And then Ryan's son Judah goes, Daddy, aren't you like the only one still married? With, with all compared to your friends? And, and we both laughed. And suddenly I just like turned to Ryan like, yeah, wh- why do you think that's the case? 
This looks yeah. like it's the case. Why is that the case? Hey, I'm married. Oh. You are married. I am married. I've been in. Well, I've only like by by the the law of the United States. Oh, I've only been legally married for like what two years? Did we do the math? I'm coming on two years, two and a half. Cool. She's year married, and a half. ladies and gentlemen. She got married. How long married. have y'all been together? But yeah, I want credit for time served. Oh yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> I've been married a long time, and it's like around uh, around eighteen, nineteen years somewhere. Wow, there. that's wonderful. At least it's like lesbian math. It's like I don't know when was that. <laughs> when did we actually move the U-Haul? Sorry. But no, like, it's funny that Judah, like Judah, did, I guess Judah hadn't really seen me around with my spouse, but so no, I well, just look like a single lady, I guess, maybe to a young boy. Well, what we were talking about was with which guests and which stories are going to go in what order mm. on the series. And so we were actually deciding to switch some things around. And, um, and the con, and it was about, oh, I think, that we were talking about a particular person. I think she just got divorced, and then we were talking about another person, and he had just gotten divorced. And we we're like, and then it was like, are we the you know my my wife's right back here, my lovely wife Cindy. <laughs> um, we're like, are we? Yeah, are we the only people still married? But yeah, so it was just kind of. But I love that these kinds of topics come up. Like everything's about sex, and it's not about sex because I I immediately fast forward to a podcast that I've been listening to. I just discovered this uh, therapist uh, by the name of Esther. Per- Anyone? Holy crap. Like, I love this woman. I find, I don't know, like, I deeply appreciate, like, the investment and some of the things that she's kind of changing the perspectives on infidelity and sexual relationships. And and that's all to say is that, like, when you're talking about divorce, it's really easy to kind of, like, get in this thing, like, monogamy is this normal thing that we're going to achieve. And, like, oh, isn't it sad that you're divorced? And we're like, well, no. And I just remember, like, one of these things from Ava Perel just recently said that I heard that I appreciated. She was saying, I've been in a relationship. I've been married for, like, th- I think she said, like, it was de- multiple decades. She goes, but I haven't always been married to the same person. And what that said to me that was deeply important is, like, we all change. We go through these seasons. And the reasons why some people can't travel with each other through those seasonal changes. She didn't claim that, like, 40 years of marriage is some kind of great achievement, but a recognition that that's not even remotely possible if we're not willing to be married to a new person at some point, being the same person that we are in a relationship with. And how we, like, to me, I don't know. I just thought that was really beautiful and poignant and and something that I I kind of kind of looked at in my own life. It's like, wow, I wonder how many people my wife will have to marry. And I hope it's always me (laughs) in the middle of it. But understanding that, like, that's even what I hope because I may not be the same person next year. And what a deep, sensitive commitment that takes to be able to stay entrenched in that. But we have all these trappings on top of it, right? Like, oh, you're married, and how long can you stay married? And, uh, like, I like to brag about my 15-some-odd years, but because I feel like I've earned them. But at the same time, I tell you today, like, I don't know that I... I don't feel like I should brag about them at all. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I really want 15 more. And I hope it happens. But it's okay if it doesn't. Like, uh, how do you talk about these things without kind of being able to find ways to, of being open about it? And yeah. it looks different, right? Like, some people get divorced and it's a great thing. Oh, and absolutely. 
Yeah, and the and that yeah, is like a I just don't want to demonize. I no, guess that's no. my my whole point. Yeah. It's like whenever we move or shift or change, particularly in zones around sexuality or in or, or vulnerability or these kind of moral constructs, that somebody finds a different way around it. I'm in de- I'm like I'm definitely calling. I just I'm not comfortable with the foul that is and trying to degrade somebody's um, experience because it's no. a difficult time to go through as it is, and it's transitional and creative and all that stuff at the same time. Oh, and that's a great point, and thank you for calling me on that. And I, and I was specifically thinking about kind of in the you know, Michael and Lisa Gunger sort of sense where you have people who get together sort of sweetly and naively under all these, um, all, under all of this pressure and under sort of false pretenses and, uh, and unrealistic expectations of church and family and each other and all that stuff, who really work hard for years and years and years to make the relationship work. And then, you know, and then here's the church who's, the church, church that has sabotaged the relationship on the front end and then is going to sort of hold an axe over your head if you, you know, if, if you know, you need... Yeah, but naming the patterns of, of harm, too. Ma- naming the patterns of harm, right? Like, how are you supposed to sa- sustain a relationship in that environment? You're right. Like, you're being undercut. Like, the, there yeah. are outsized forces actually sabotaging you from the get-go w- that you might not have known. It's wor- Yeah, it's absolutely worth naming all those factors that come into play. I, I think what really helps th- when those things come into play, when you feel like a lot of things are coming at you, is just continue to educate yourself of other, other distinctions of relationships that are out there. Um, relationships don't have to look like one way. Either it's all on or it's all off. There's, there's a whole rainbow of relationships. In fact, I want to, uh, to articulate the distinction of my wife and I, my ex-wife, when we, when we divorced and separated and we had our separate journeys to become our, our sexual selves, we, we had another conversation entertaining if we could get back together. And we heavily thought about that. And I think in some circumstances, if we, if we grew differently, maybe we could have, um, but we chose not to. And so to cre- I'll, I'll, I just want to include this image of becoming a different person can work by being married to the same person. You can be married to the same person and you can both become different people. This doesn't have to be a scary, I got to get m- divorced in order to find my sexual wholeness type of narrative. No, that's not the case. You can just change who you are in your marriage as well. This is also a distinction you can have. So if you feel like you have found that soulmate, your major yes, and you're just not in sync yet, maybe that's your narrative too. So don't feel, don't feel like that's at a loss because you've heard the term divorce spoken so many times. And maybe divorce is your path to a deeper marriage with that same person. There is no rules. It's just a wonderful exploration. And, and by sharing these distinctions to each other, we educate each other so we won't get pulled away towards, towards other frameworks that are a lot more limited and provide a lot less to us. Did that make sense? I For you, <laughs> remarkably. Yeah. You, really, you really have figured that out for yourself. If I You're slow it down <laughs> more, it'll be You're my favorite shame. spitting top friend. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's good. You make me, you make me feel so chill, dude. <laughs> I love it. Oh, man. I love it. Well, Jennifer, what for you, what, 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 what constitutes touch? What constitutes a good relationship? I don't trust me to give you the answer. To that. So no. I w- no, yeah, like f- for me, a good relationship. Uh, gosh, how do you how do you talk about that? I feel safe in the relationships that I have. Um, and I'm not. I like. I, I'm trying to actually just take away like my 
my major like my relationship with my spouse out and think of like that even globally to not just narrow it down to like that relationship because that's more than that um, I also know that the health of that relationship was one of the first places I began to discover what real love was and what safety inside of a social relationship was what was it was one of the first times I ever did that and so at that epicenter I started to figure out what it was to I learned in that space, and it was so safe and so amazing to be available to another human being, that that was so good that I began to actually entertain the rest of the world. I'm Let me just, like, uh, spoiler alert, I'm utterly narcissistic. Like, everything in my whole orbit starts at the epicenter of me. Like, I just don't know how to work it. Like, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor yourself. And I see that theologically, it starts with me. Like, I can't love my neighbor if I don't love me. And I got to tell you, there are a lot of years learning how to do that that I couldn't. And somebody, I found somebody who loved me. Somebody who loved me. And that, that altered what that was. So that sounds narcissistic. But in moving out from that and understanding the kind of vulnerability that it took, the kind of forgiveness it took for myself, for somebody else to see that, the give and take of being able to show those things, I, I don't have anything. I, I want a big soundbite that sounds amazing and romantic about that. But we just were with each other. And it was just safe and good and holy. And that allowed me in that space to understand something that rooted enough to grow out just a little bit just in concentric circles with my na- you know with 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 a parent you know with my own family with with people I'd been to church with or the the, the things that outside me that always kind of threatened the epicenter of me became less terrifying because something about the safe place at home was rooted and grounded and knew what love was but it's I like with the religion context it probably took me six to seven years into that you know into my life partner relationship to say the words that I wanted to say which like when I fell in love with my now wife what I what I w- took me years to say out loud to other human beings was like wow now I understand what it I think I know a little bit or a glimmer of what it means about godly love. Hmm. Like, holy love. Like, what if there's a God and this, there's love attached to that, I'm learning it in this relationship, which is so, it was so antithetical to everything that I'd grown up with. And I just, I had so much shame. And I just didn't want to share that secret. Like, I wasn't going to get rid of it. Like, it has no problem. Like, I, lo- I loved love so much, and I loved... I love people a lot. Um, I, I'm learning. People are really amazing things. Like, I'm the narcissistic epicenter of me and how that works and serves me well in loneliness and in my quiet little hermitage at home where I refuel and I ge- regenerate and I create, and those things are vital to my whole life. But Henry Nouwen talks about, like, this loneliness converting, being converted to solitude. It's not... Th- solitude's important it's not isolation and for so many years of my life I struggled for self-care and understanding what that meant there was isolation and solitude and it wasn't it was loneliness not solitude it wasn't regeneration it wasn't building and when it began to be builded built when it began to be protected by the other people who knew what that space was about it, like that's na- like neighborly protection it's not just my partner it's my friends in Nashville who know nothing of my profession life they're like didn't you have a gig or something this weekend or I, I saw you were you showed up on google on my thing that was so weird you're my friend why are you on my google like there are people who are invested in me and they love me because i'm me and 
it was through an intimate relationship where I happened to learn that. And but that intimate relationship, yeah. So I'm answering the question: How? What does a good relationship look like? part of it starts with like I just I know that I'm absolutely safe and cared for and then even if it's utterly selfish and I go me 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 please I need more me <laughs> that somehow there's a little bit of space of going okay I'll give you a little bit bitch slap me and say are you done um, that that's even safe too like I've just hurt so much in my life and I've experienced that so much in my life to know now that I'm a good determiner of who's taking from me in ways that are evil that it's now such a pleasure to learn like to receive a gift is such a blessing and to be able to now in these later parts of my life to be able to find a relationship that I'm now wanting to give into and that's safe to be able to do that to be able to go oh man I've been in isolation for a while I want to pour out there's I've been pouring it into this relationship now I'm ready to pour it into my friends into my neighbors into my communities and it's not sexual but it's strange it's everything about sex and not about sex like I wouldn't I needed that sacred space that deeply intimate involving place to be able to even remotely unlock the door to the rest of the world and I, I don't know if that sounds creepy or not but I don't know how to explain it out of the other way like a r- good relationship to me opens up the rest of the world to you it's not a relationship in isolation. It's a seed that grows and it blooms and explodes and it's uncontainable. Like your life should, to me, my life changed in a good relationship. And that's not just with a partnered relationship. When I meet somebody else that's really into that work and into that grafting, we become closer together and it's deeply intimate. Wow. That's great. So yeah, to, 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 me it, to me, that sounds like you found someone where you could be safe with your fears. That's part of it, yeah. Wow. It's, yeah. That's a horrible thing to ask of another human being. <laughs> Is it? Is it, though? I, I, I don't know. Like, I, it takes a lot of endurance. I, like, I appreciate, like, we're, like the, I, I say that thinking about all the traumas that we carry and the moments that I've actually watched it play out in public where um, I was a uh, Anna, and I'm going to... Anna, I'm going to butcher her last name, the UMC pastor that was up here the other day. Uh, Holloway? Holiday. <coughs> okay, I'm going to pretend like I heard you because I can't hear the consonants in my old musician deaf ears. Galladay. Galladay. Anna Galladay said the other day that she was speaking from a place of her scars and not her wounds, making a distinction between like the, the lines of healing. And I think... I just I think somewhere in there like I am aware of how much trauma and pain and suffering there is in the world because I'm in an environment where I see a lot of people just bleh, just purging pain and sorrow and particularly in these zones of like constriction versus now in this progressive environment we get to air our grief in ways that we'd never done before but there's I also have like this appreciation of how much weight we can have and bear and that it like, I may have liberty to touch you, but I only have liberty to touch you for so far and in so many ways. And you're not trying to restrict me. You have a healthy respect of boundaries, of a capacity of what you know how to, you know, what's comfortable between us. So in the in the airing of all that and all that kind of flow of relationships that can bear a burden, I'm just, I still always have in the back of my mind, will this, will this be able to, contain, you know, will this be able to hold me enough? Will this be able to hold me enough? And how reliant I am on somebody else to be healthy 
how the necessity of somebody else around me to be healthy in order to go, okay, Jen, it's the airing of your grief is, is reached its point now. You'll be okay. You're safe. And, you know, we can take this up further when I'm rested. Those kind of relationships when we're damaged, it's, that's just why, how how important it becomes then all of a sudden to me when I realize, wow, it's really important that I get my shit together. It's really important for me to heal because somebody else needs me. Somebody else that I love that I'm going to need to love me back. It's not necessarily, I don't mean to make it sound capitalistic, but it's all in relationship and it has to be in balance. And some days you don't, I'm bad news folks. I'm really an advocate for some days you don't get what you want. Some days you don't get what you need. In a good relationship to me, in a good relationship and a healthy balance of the world, I will. It will come around. And today is a, you know, it doesn't rain today, but tomorrow it will. And if I can just hold out a little bit long enough, maybe the, maybe I will be provided for. And it, it's it's risky. I, I don't I don't know any other way around it. But I I can't. Um, I I am still in a place where I will openly say I have faith and hope in some of those days that the risk of waiting for that is a dependent on my own hospitality my own work um, and my because I really because I know what's coming ahead is my desperation to say flat out man I need you here for me now like I'm I've got that diva mode <laughs> like all eyes on me it's baby cry time <laughs> and uh, this is going to happen and you avert your eyes if, it, if you're not good with it or get on board and love me because this is going to happen right now and um, I don't know that's that's not something I don't know I, I wish I had some like fantastic soundbite for it but I, I just don't know how you get around the fact that, that we have that, that kind of balance to have to, to mitigate and how that circles back around to the need for us to be healthy and holy, um, healthy and whole to be able to be in that kind of balanced relationship it's hard work. I, I don't. Somebody I know a good therapist or two. <laughs> Find a therapist. Yeah. Well, no. I, I, I thank you for sharing all that. I mean, it's 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 wonderful to hear that you have found safety and love and in a relationship that you can that works. Woo. And in a relationship that works so that you you the the, reci- the reciprocal elements of that safety and, and providing for each other and mutuality and 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 common and love and I, but I was curious one of the things why you were talking about that was that you know you, you had mentioned earlier that like why you when you were like in the heyday of your your Christian career you didn't date anyone like oh you god were, no yeah you didn't date I anyone couldn't. well well because and I'm gonna ask you was because it was not safe uh well f- first off like there was definitely I was groomed for an imperative that single single Christians, particularly good evangelical Christians, didn't have sex outside of marriage. So that was just off off the cards. The other complicated part to that is I've always I apparently I've always somewhat presented it's tomboyish and questionably heterosexual or gay, whichever side of the coin you want to flip that. Um, I was a late bloomer. I was like, oh, 27 girls. Yay. Um, <laughs> like I, I was just a late bloomer. It just wasn't an option for me. But in, in that between time, what I got a lot inside of that environment was that because I was in my you know 23 in evangelical communities as a woman and to not be talking 
about how much I wanted to have babies and I wasn't married and because I wasn't actively dating, which I, I, I just didn't know how to do it. Like the, the option in the evangelical model was that I was going to be the submissive wife to a male and every male that I'd ever met, I was like running roughshod over. I, you know, every male that I was friends with, somebody thought I was having sex with, so I'd try to distance myself from them. Every woman that I was with that I had a good relationship with or had a meaningful connection with was like, I was having sex with them. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm just not dating any of you. Apparently, I'm such a hottie. And I, I wasn't that way, but it's just like, it was so strange. Like, the position that I was in, I, I always had to be observed. I all, always had to have female companionship with an eyes and a male, like, like kind of authority figures watching me and authorizing my purity. I got, like, looking back, I think that's all that was. It was authorizing my purity. It wasn't, it was making sure that I wasn't drinking or smoking or doing any of these other things and saying, like, this symbolic literally a symbolic pure representation of what people wanted like a christian artist to be i don't think i don't think those institutions set out and made the charter for this to happen let me be clear but that looking back is like that wasn't about me no one was taking care of me and nobody was concerned about that and so yeah my dating life any of my desires for literally for the best 10 years of my youth got shut down i had to turn off my desire. Oh. I, I so my the, the the one of the reasons why I kind of attribute my in terms of my sexual orientation that being being such a late bloomer is I just didn't have desire. I didn't a guy wasn't an option and a girl wasn't an option. I wasn't dating and I couldn't imagine even remotely understanding this narrative of what I was supposed to be as a woman inside the uh, monogamous heterosexual relationship anyway. It was just so mind-boggling to me. I just like, I'm just going to stay single. I'll just say, masturbation, I'll just, I'll deal with the shame. I'll deal with the shame of masturbation. The shame cycle. And I'll, it, seriously, I just couldn't do it. Like, a, a guy couldn't even buy me like a sandwich without me getting all weird. Like, I guess we're getting married now. Like, was kind of <laughs> in my mind, or like, you're buying me a sandwich because you're grooming me for marriage. And I'm like, I don't know. It's just all weird. So I just shut it down. And I don't even have that. I don't know how I did it, frankly. I don't have a discipline to stay away from a bag of potato chips right now, and let alone to stay away from my own desire and my own sense of well being. But I, I do think that that speaks to just how deeply deeply disturbing that kind of thing can be and how how I, I you know I joke like that's 10 years of celibacy in that life that I'll never get back but the, the deeper heartache is the 10 years of the kind of person that I was I miss people I, I didn't enjoy my art I I, I did. I, I still existed, and I still survived, and I did all of those things. But that confluence of all of those things wrapped up dramatically changed, like the perception of pleasure and desire and joy. These, these that's not sex. That's just life, mm -hmm. abundancy, and wow. and the color in the world. It was gone. I just did my shit. I'm a rock star. Whatever. Like it is no good. Like it wasn't enough. It didn't sustain itself until read the book. I imploded and it's all good. <laughs> and turned gay. The book Facing <laughs> the Music. That was sarcasm for anyone who like just go do some googling. Don't hear me out. Like somebody I'll get a tweet going, She turned gay. She admitted it. Or <laughs> or that it's a damaging thing that I'm suggesting can happen. I am not giving that endorsement <laughs> in any way whatsoever. Yeah. Well, we have a few more questions, and I think we'll take questions from the audience. And, Russ, what time do we need to be finished up? Um, now. About right now. Oh, okay. So maybe no questions. 
Do we have time for questions? We have, you no. have time for the turnaround? I can loiter if no. somebody wants me to loiter. No, we, we're going to be followed by You're the loiter. Bible Bitches. Bible Bitches yeah. are coming up here. And they are fantastic. And they are podcast awesome. They're actually out. right there. They've got swag, they've got game, they got they've game got tank tops. Game. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Jennifer Knapp's going to be on Touch Podcast a few more episodes uh, and sprinkle throughout. You, oh my gosh, you, my heart dropped when you did that. Uh, I'm too serious and right now. I need to loosen up. I gave up. him a what look? I should have had the whiskey before I came up here. No, you're good. Um, you're good. Also, uh, you can find us at touchpodcast.com. You can find our podcast at Stitcher, Google Play, and iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. We have a site, patreon.com slash touchpodcast, where if you give a couple dollars a month we will give you secret content things like videos of our facial expressions uh, doing weird stuff and um, as we go into season three there'll be a lot more of that video content because we're working on the on the on the movie on the movie we're so working on the film with video content too so keep an eye open for that yeah good things guys thanks you so much for listening to touch podcast this is nathan overo this is ryan clark and i am jennifer knapp boom <laughs> Big thanks to the Wild Goose Festival for having us on their stage and to Russ Jennings from Love in a Dangerous Time podcast. He did a great job recording this. Touch Podcast is produced by Touch Media. Touch Podcast is for informational purposes and entertainment purposes only. Views expressed belong to the person speaking those words. To learn more about Touch Podcast or to get involved with the podcast or documentary, please go to touchpodcast.com.